Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatech compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome back to Spark Pride Podcast, Fans First Sports Network. Jonathan Schopp here with you today, along with the Hondo Carpenter. Hondo S. Carpenter Sr., if you're going to be exact. Chase it again. The name of our look back, our series looking back at the 2013 Spartans. I hope this you enjoy week one, or part one of this, if you will. We're going to pick it up here with part two, welcoming Hondo back, and talk about the game that turned, maybe turned the tide in many ways. What do you remember about 2013 going into the Notre Dame game after Youngstown State? Obviously, they're going to go with Cook. Short drive sat down to South Bend, and then the flags start flying. I remember a couple of things. Um, earlier in the week, um, you know, the coaches work a million hours. But earlier in the week, there was a situation. I'm not going to say what the situation was, because then some people may be able to figure out who I'm talking about. But there was a situation that I ended up finding myself at a coach's house um, after practice. And it was not for media. It was a friend thing. And our families were together. And hearing the anger, there was a couple other coaches there. There wasn't a lot. There were, I think, two, maybe three coaches there. But there was anger with the offense. There was anger about, man, D'Antonio's got to get his feet off the brakes here. Let's go. And and there was a lot of frustration. Um, remember, we talked about last time there were – everybody knew that Connor Cook was the quarterback. Uh, the staff, in my opinion, had ruined Andrew Maxwell of no fault of his own. And – Connor Cook had something that I think Andrew Maxwell had better skills. In fact, I think if Andrew Maxwell had gone to a place with better quarterback coaching, 
he'd still be playing in the National Football League. But Connor Cook had a, a skill that a lot of people don't have, and that's ability to just blow off a coach and do what you think's best, roll the dice. And when he rolled them, you know, eight and a half out of ten times, they rolled up sixes, which is good. So uh, to me, it was that frustration. And I remember going into the Notre Dame game, and I said on my TV show and my radio show about – if Michigan State was going to have to win it, they were going to take their foot off the gas. And so you come into Notre Dame, and, you know, everyone was wondering who's going to start. It kind of leaked out. Everyone kind of knew Connor was going to get it. Um, the staff, you may remember, John, we broke that story at Spartan Nation that, that Connor was going to be the guy. And there was a lot of optimism. Later in the week, there was a ton of optimism, a lot of happy, excited people. And you just kind of sensed, okay, here's D'Antonio. He's going to be a riverboat gambler. And I said that on my TV show. And uh, I remember the, I think it was the Thursday before, it was at a downtown coaches club luncheon. Um, after the luncheon, talking to one of the uh, people within the program, a high up person in the program that was talking about, I think we're going to pull a Duffy. And you may remember Duffy Doherty once in a famous football game started by saying, we're going to do an onside kick and did. And I remember at some point in that game, I don't remember if it was at the very beginning. I think it was, but somewhere around there, they had done a trick play. And, and it was just, it was the first time where D'Antonio was loose. And uh, I think he was a better coach for it. And then as, and, and it just, it crescendoed. Well, you know, a lot of people know that you go back pretty far with Brian Kelly. Uh, what do you remember hearing from the Notre Dame side as far as were they expecting Cook? And I remember something Kelly or a couple things he said either after the game or even the week after. They kind of it's not that they were playing for those flags, but I think Brian Kelly had a pretty good idea of how he had to attack Michigan State. And then if it went their way, great. If not, at least they put their players in the best position to win. What do you remember hearing from the Notre Dame side before that week? Because it turned out to be not a classic, but it turned out to be a pretty darn memorable game. You're right. I, I do go back a long ways with Brian and Packy. And, um, and so the first thing I remember was Brian was greatly concerned at how physical the Michigan State corners were. And he knew if Michigan State corners were allowed to play the way that they played, Notre Dame was going to lose. He had to get guys in space. There had to be space, get the ball out quick. So all week, Brian Kelly talked about, well, geez, you know, that's the way the Big Ten plays. It's not really the way the play, the rules are, and I'm concerned about it. And then a lot of people don't know this, but, you know, the coaches will go and meet with the officials before the game. And Brian was, and I had known earlier in the week, he planned on doing this. I mean, he sent tape and, and, and he wanted everyone well aware, man, these Michigan state kids are so handsy. That's not the way the game's supposed to be played. I just, I don't want any favoritisms. Jeez. I don't want any of that. But I'm sure hoping you call the game the way it's supposed to be called. I would hate on national TV, on the Notre Dame network, 
millions watching around the world, including the Pope. And oh, by the way, that was said. <laughs> um, them to see this and to see this representation. And so as the week went on, when I got the impression, not the impression, when I knew what the politicking was, and that's not D'Antonio's style. He's just not going to do that. Like it or not, you know, that's just not what he does. And so I told a lot of people, um, I said it on my TV show. I said it with you on my radio show. It's You're going to have to wait and see how the referees call this game. And I said, it would be a travesty if this game comes down to a, the refs. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It did. I think it was a good football game. I think there were several calls that were fair within the rules. Michigan State was too handsy. But, man, I think there was eight or nine that game, and and half of them, though, weren't. It was just anticipating that's what we're going to see. And so for me, once you started to see that, you know Michigan State's in trouble. And they were. And and it and I, I think Brian Kelly, you can hate him because he's not a Spartan, but he did his job. He gave his team every advantage that they needed to win. He won the advantage. Now, listen, there were some times in Mark D'Antonio's uh, tenure at Michigan State, he did some things, not that but some things, some of them I won't talk about on air, but um, that gave Michigan State an advantage. So it, it's just the game of football. It's strategery. And um, I just think that's the way it went. And, the, you know, when the game was over, you may remember, I think it was the last drive they benched Connor. Yeah, that was. Andrew Maxwell, nothing happens. In fact, uh, I'm trying to I'm sorry. It was like the score. It was a one score game. Yep. And D'Antonio, I think it was that game. Correct me if I'm wrong. Puts Andrew Maxwell in. That was the game. Was it not Johnny? It was. Yeah. And, and you know, first of all, if folks, if you haven't seen my interview with Mark D'Antonio from MSU Atlanta day, you need to go find that podcast because he talks in detail about this game about five flags, about talking to the officials uh, years and years after. He's got great reflections on the game itself and what it meant for Michigan State football. What we did not get into was why. And since we're there, since we've arrived, let's talk about it. All right. So to see, here, here's my theory on it, because I'm curious, 10 years later, your theory. And I would love to, of course, uh, talk with anybody involved in it to talk about it more. I think that D'Antonio went to Maxwell for one reason. He knew the two-minute drill playbook, and they had less than two minutes to go. I don't know why he wasn't clear in saying that, but in reality, my impression at the time and 10 years later was he had no choice but to put Maxwell in because they didn't have any kind of two-minute experience with Cook, and that was there was no choice. I don't think it was a good idea, but I think that's why they did it. I believe... Um... 
that Mark D'Antonio absolutely loved Andrew Maxwell. Um, I'm not saying he didn't care for Connor, but I'm also saying I think he preferred Andrew Maxwell personally. Um, and so I think he's like, all right, you know, Connor's only put up 13 points today. Let's go let Maxwell. And I think in the back of his mind, him and a couple other guys on the staff were thinking, geez, if we lose, we lose. But if Andrew brings us back, maybe we get to go back to Andrew. Yep. And I remember walking in the locker room and I went right to Connor Cook. And Connor made it very clear. I don't remember this is a direct quote, isn't isn't a direct quote, but basically said, boy, I wish coach would have had faith in me. And he put it on D'Antonio. And it was the first time in D'Antonio's tenure that one of his players had publicly This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Public got to see that side of Connor Cook. Um, those of us that covered the team had seen it. Um, D'Antonio's team was very unhappy with him. They wanted to stick with Connor. They believed in Connor. Uh, I remember one of the captains, and I'll clean it up, but basically said, you know, the effing guy in a bowl game went and won us a game late in the game. Why the F isn't he sticking with that guy? It, 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 there was dissension. And I remember another captain saying to me, um, I hope we don't have to go talk to coach. Um, a member of the leadership council, a couple of them that were like, you know, listen, we love Andrew, but right now this team needs Connor. And it, and it, it was one of the first times that I saw D'Antonio could possibly lose a locker room. And um, I think his heart was right. Um, but I think it was a very bad decision. And I'm going to tell you, they found out about what Connor said to me um, on the way back. Um, I got called by somebody in the university that said, can you take that video down? I laughed. Are you kidding? And then I get called. Can you bring a copy of the video to me? And I said, uh, sure. And I'm on the way driving to East Lansing to take a copy of the video. And I get called. Never mind. We've, we did. We just, we got it off your site. There was, there was a lot of anger. And <laughs> D'Antonio was, uh, D'Antonio was not a guy that liked to be publicly challenged. And Connor Cook was not afraid of the challenge. Yeah, it's almost like he might have worked for a guy that didn't like to be publicly challenged in a previous career spot, maybe even at Michigan State. Those are stories for another day. What you were talking about earlier, some of the things that maybe Michigan State did under Mark D'Antonio on the field, off the field, 
there's a couple Iowa fans that heard that that would like to talk about that another day, but we'll leave that for another day. Um, when I look back and I'm looking at Spartan Pride Substack reposting of my articles, the outlook moving forward from 2013, which is great if you want to look back and look hard. And it's been fun for me to do that. I remember two things after the game. Firstly, the great, very good Jim Miller of Sirius XM, Chicago Bears, et cetera, said after that game, something you rarely hear somebody say, he basically said, I'm not sure the better team won today. And that was about as strong a statement as he could make. And he's making that in September, folks. It turned out he was right. But boy, did he go out on a ledge there. Um, I've got a question for you about what was going on upstairs in the press box. As this game's going on and some flags are coming out, at what point did you get the feeling with the people around you or your own feeling like, uh-oh, this is going to be a thing all game and it may end up deciding the game? For me probably after the third or fourth pass interference, I thought this is, this is probably not going to go very well in the end. The first pass interference, I don't remember if it was the first or the second, but one of them was not a legitimate call at all. Yep. And, and I knew then because I knew what Brian had been doing all week, they were in trouble. Yeah. Now, let me tell you that Notre Dame, I, I love going to games at Notre Dame. I love the press box, best barbecue chicken in the world, by the way. Um, in uh, but it's the worst professional oh. press box. Yeah, <laughs> they they stack it with fans and priests. Yeah. And um, you know now I cover the National Football League, but you're you hear before every game this is a professional pr press box, no cheering, you'll be kicked out. Well, they let the fathers, the Catholic fathers, do whatever they want at Notre Dame, yeah. and they're all cheering and shouting. And at one point, I turn around to one of the fathers, a uh, really good guy. I like him a lot. And I said to him, I said, hey, come on now. You saw the replay. Are you really going to cheer that? And I'm smiling at him. He goes, brother, God works in mysterious ways. And so does Brian Kelly. Yeah, and, you know, uh, some folks, though, because they've seen us on the highlights every year in the Big Ten Network, you're looking at two guys that were on the Notre Dame sideline next to Mike Golick during the Little Giants play. And what some folks yeah, don't know, what some folks don't know that I think I can now reveal and attest and testify to. Before that play, I got a tap on the shoulder and Hondo turned to me and said, "Watch this." And then we all saw what happened. So we go back a long way in Notre Dame. We got plenty of Notre Dame memories, but um, some folks have seen us. I hear about it every once in a while when they show it. I'm like, "Yep, that's us," and that's Mike Golick there. Uh, I gotta, let me tell you real quick. So going into the Notre Dame game when they did Little Giants, I had been tipped off by a member of the staff about what was coming, and uh, I had talked to a couple of the players. And uh, they were a little bit surprised, I knew. and But we talked about it. And D'Antonio was saving that in his pocket. And I was told it, it's only coming out of his pocket if it's an absolute last play of the game or, you know, last drive of the game. And they've got to get it. From, I mean, that's the only way it's coming out. And then it's got to be the right place on the field. I mean, you're not running that at your 10, obviously. 
And it was a fascinating, and that's why I did the, you know, just to let yep. you know, but I, I thought it was a fascinating one. And so going back to 2013. Well, oh, can, can, can I mention one thing on, on that since we're there? Yeah, um, that's your show. Yeah. So the snap before that, Cousins takes a bad sack. And I turn to Mike mm-hmm. Olick and I, I ask him, he says, yeah, he can't take that sack. It's a bad sack. Um, that play happens. And it was so quiet in Spartan Stadium when that play was going. I can remember the ball hitting Charlie Gant's hands. But can you share for us anything about the exchange between Kelly and D'Antonio? Because when they went to shake hands, a lot of people have tried yeah. to read Brian Kelly's lips, and they think they know what he said. Yeah, Brian asked him, did you call that? He and, asked him uh, twice, right? He might have asked him twice. Yeah. And uh, well, I don't know that. I only know he asked him, "Did you call him Mark D'Antonio?" And, and you know, Mark has a uh, Mark is is uh, very dry sense of humor, but he's a warm guy, and and he knew how Brian had been recruiting against him. You know, you want to come to Notre Dame. Mark's not an offensive guy. He's too conservative. You want to come here and. And so when anytime Mark can get a dig, he's going to take it. And I don't blame him. That's not an insult. And when he asked him, did you call that? Oh my, and it, what an insulting question. Yeah. And Dan Tony looked at him and goes, yup. And people have seen that over the years. You can read Brian Kelly's lips and, and that's what he did. So that's little giants. Then we have this mess 2013 after the game, the next week, uh, D'Antonio says, which is true. We controlled the line of scrimmage. Uh, for the first time in a couple years against Notre Dame, which was a positive. But at this yep. point, the 2013 team was unproductive in the red zone. And that was really the mess that was going on. You had a situation with a quarterback developing. You had a situation with Jeremy Langford still developing. But at that point, after the Notre Dame game, was the level of panic almost uh, – was there any level of panic raised or was there a feeling in, inside the program like, all right, we finally got this out of the way? Everyone knows Cook is our guy. We wasted 2012 with no offense in and in and in in basically uh, strangling the offense. We just lost the game we should have won to put us on track for something big. Was there almost a semi-relaxed feeling that now we see our clear path? Or was there, uh-oh, we're going to send another season down the drain here if we don't get this straight? No, uh, I can tell you this. There was early in the week, there was anger. Um, there was frustration with D'Antonio in the locker room for pulling. And again, everybody liked Maxwell, but people were upset with him for pulling Connor. Um, I think some of his staff wouldn't, they were not frustrated with him. They were frustrated with the flags and D'Antonio did something super smart. When they came back on Sunday night, he had already talked to Connor and they met as a team. And D'Antonio gave a rousing speech. And it was not, you know, rousing like Deion Sanders, but it was rousing with, all right, here's the deal. We're undefeated in the Big Ten. We should have, we just beat Notre Dame. The officials beat us, not Notre Dame. Let's go win the blankety blank Big Ten. Let's go to a Rose Bowl. Let's finish this thing out. And our only loss is going to be to the refs. And everybody saw it. And maybe we got a chance of sneaking in and and, and playing for a national title. And Sunday night, 
it was one of the few times in D'Antonio's era where the emotion flipped on a dime. And you could feel it. I remember going into the building that night. You could feel it. And uh, Mark did a masterful job. They go the next week to Notre Dame. Cook throws for 275 yards, 280 yards. Um, and they beat Notre Dame. I mean, they beat Iowa, excuse me. They take care of Iowa at Iowa, which whether they're good or bad doesn't matter. That's a very difficult place to play. And it was not a pretty win, but it was a win. And it was a win that showed promise. Mark D'Antonio took his foot off the gas a little bit. There was excitement. And what he did Sunday night, combined with how he allowed his team to play on offense on the next Saturday, ignited the rest of the season. That's what it really looks like. And, and folks, we've taken a whole show here talking about the Notre Dame game, and maybe that's the almost perfect way to begin to wrap it up. That game was the strike of the match, and how Mark D'Antonio handled it after what we've just learned, for the great majority of folks that don't know, that was him realizing he's got a match in his hand and striking it. And boy, did it work. As Michigan State, of course, goes on to win every Big Ten game by double digits. And off we go yeah. to chase it. That's what we're doing. Spartan Pride, Substack, Spartan Pride podcast. Chase it again is the name of us looking back. So let's wrap this show up with, with a little more discussion on Iowa City because everybody's got an opinion on this. And I can't wait to hear them now looking 10 years back from literally everybody on the team and associated with the program. Mark D'Antonio and Connor Cook have said in the past that they think the Iowa game was the turning point of the season. I do not. Mm -hmm. I think it was the second half of Illinois, and I'm going to lay that case out next time we talk big time because I am really confident that was where the thing went to fifth gear like we have not seen at Michigan State in a million years. Any thoughts on Iowa? Was it really the turning point, or what do you think the turning point was for that ball club? Yes, and I know where you're going to go with Illinois, so let me say this. Without Mark D'Antonio's Sunday night speech and Saturday's foot off the gas, there wouldn't have been an Illinois. So I do believe it was the turning point internally, but outwardly to the fan base, I can see where people think Illinois was. Yeah, I mean, they, they've said Iowa was, but nobody, as far as I know, they never said anything about that Sunday. Mark D'Antonio didn't talk with me about that uh, when we met in May. Now, next year, he may have some other questions about that. Um, so if if I would grant you, if we're going to say the turning point was the days after the Iowa game, or, or after the Notre Dame game, it makes sense to me. The Iowa game, I didn't really see it. But now understanding more of the background, it puts a different light to that 26-14 win on a place that is difficult to play. We're also nobody's playing this game in 2023. This is 2013 Iowa. This is a different situation. That was a big one. They come home and take care of high-scoring Indiana, which was seem inevitable, and then lowly Purdue. And next time we talk, we're going to pick it up with the game that found fifth gear and some Connor Cook crazy. Well if we're gonna if we're gonna skip Indiana, I want to give you one story. Well, not skip it, but yeah, um, whatever you've got from Indiana and Purdue that you think we should know. Well, I'll just do Indiana next week. I'll tell you a Purdue story. So going into Indiana, they were a very high velocity offense. Yep. And 
Um, I don't remember it now, but it was a Michigan State one-handedly. And yeah. there was a Max Bola went in practice. They were they were doing some some walkthrough stuff, some scrimmaging stuff, not physical, but and Max Bola, when the team comes together at the end, made it clear. You guys better not take your blankety blank foot off the gas because we're we're the only ones who can stop them and we're going to. Let's go out and in Max Bulla fashion made it very clear. I'm telling you we can stop them. And they did. And uh, that was more fun in that locker room than I have ever seen in a Michigan State football locker room, and I've been in hundreds of them. It was more fun even than the, than the Rose Bowl. The Indiana game. Yep. Yeah, it was wild. a locker room, and I remember standing outside of it, and because in Indiana, you I don't know what they do now, you used to go off into an area and you walk by the locker room and the players are outside with their parents, and there was just cheering. And uh, I walked by, and Max Bull is there. I don't remember. I think his mom and dad were there, but. He was visiting with somebody. I walked over. I kind of tapped him on the butt, and I said, uh, "Good speech." And he said, "Thanks." And he goes, uh, "This is special." And well, he knew it. Yeah, and, and they knew it. Folks don't remember. Indiana almost went up fourteen nothing in that game in the first quarter. The, the the game started with Indiana moving around like they did with Kevin Wilson, and then the things turned. And then at halftime, that hammer was laid down, and that's how. Michigan State. Well, let me just say that hammer. So I was going to tell you this next week. I'll tell you what happened. So they go yeah. into the, you know, Indiana goes up 14 nothing, And the coaches make a statement that everybody hears. Hey, don't you guys be worrying about them being up. Max told us they're going to, they're going to stop them. Ah, and Max don't lie. And it was a, it was a, 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 Compliment, not a compliment of, hey, we got your back, but you made a statement. You better live up to it. And Max Bola went around that room and talked to a lot of guys on that sideline. And, and uh, that team responded. I'm going to tell you this. I know he didn't play in the Rose Bowl. But more valuable than anyone else on that team was Max Bola. He was more valuable than any coach. He held that team together. That team loved him. They did not follow him out of fear, although there was a lot of things to be afraid of. And at the end of this series, I'm going to illustrate to you how far. Uh, there was a time when when Chris Fry had coaches go to him his last year at Michigan State saying, please don't be so intense. You're scaring some of the players. Now, that, I've never shared that publicly before. But that's how far the program went from a Max Bulla that everybody respected and loved. But there was an element of fear. Yeah. He was the hardest worker. And at the end, when Michigan State was floundering and you had a guy like Chris Fry trying to be that leader, he's being told, you got to tap the brakes. Yeah, and that's stories for another day. But I was in the locker room after the Maryland game, which was a debacle in 2016. Of course, they're covering with Hondo. I saw it in Chris Fry. You could see it at that time. Max's speech in the Indiana game, another starting, another taking off point. Maybe the frustration at the Maryland game, uh, arguably a low point in 2016. 
um, what a ride ride it was. This is chasing it again. This is fun. This is fun. We're digging in. We're giving stuff that hadn't been told before. We're resetting the deck. Next week, we're going to pick it up with an interesting one. The only reason Purdue is interesting, and we're going to get Hondo's thoughts on why did Daryl Hazel have such relative success against Mark D'Antonio? Why? I don't know. We're going to talk about it next week. We're going to talk about my turning point, the masterful craziness of Illinois, the shift to fifth gear as the Spartans take off. This, this is the Spartan Pride Podcast. Fans First Sports Network. Hondo Carpenter, Jonathan Shop. We're chasing it again, and we'll see you again next week.